it is really good to be back to see you in ARPC at Bishan. I'm Kenneth, and it's really my privilege to share with you the Lord's Word this morning. You know, it's great to be back worshipping together, and even though there are some adjustments to be made like this, we hope and pray that as we slowly enter into phase three, we will also be able to do more together, like singing, reading the Lord's Word, and also be able to talk to each other and wonderfully. So, before I begin, allow me to read some parts about uh, chapter 39 itself, which I think is important. So, if you have your Bible, whether electronically or physically, which I have, allow me to read uh, from verse 1 to 10. It's a continuation of a part of Joseph. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and, made, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from you except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Turn to me with, uh, to verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the Lord's word. Allow me to pray. Father, grant me your guidance and the filling of the Holy Spirit that I may be your mouthpiece to speak the word that your people need to hear. And may you convict us, encourage us, and help us that we might become more like your Son for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know whether you know, this is my first time preaching for the entire year. So it's been a long time, so I might be a little bit nervous. There are at least two areas which we struggle concerning the issues of suffering and the presence of evil. An intellectual struggle and an experiential struggle which is personal. To those who do not believe in God, the issues of suffering and the presence of evil have always been a major obstacle. In fact, it is one of the top three topics that is constantly raised in many Christian debates 
and Q&As. And the reason why this is an issue is nicely summed up by the code. The first slide. Next one. A God who is all-powerful but left much misery in the world would not be all-benevolent. And an all-benevolent God in a world containing much misery would not be an all-powerful God. A world containing a God who is both all-powerful and all-benevolent would contain no misery. To many, if not all, who do not believe in a God, find it contradictory or logically impossible for an all-powerful God and an all-good God to exist when there is presence of evil and suffering. This is because in our very own human minds, if we had absolute power and goodness, we would never allow evil and suffering to exist and seemingly prevail. We would destroy it and remove it completely. For to us, there is no good reason for the existence of suffering and the presence of evil. We see that there is no good use of it, and so it cannot be used. But what if we are wrong? And logically, there can be a reason for suffering and the presence of evil to exist. With regards to the personal aspect, when things don't go our way or when bad things happen to us as a result of the actions of people or the circumstances of life, we feel that God is not in control and not with us. Did you know about five days ago, yes, November 17, it was when the world first received news about COVID. It has been more than a year since then, and many of us have experienced firsthand the struggles and challenges of coping with the various preventive measures placed by the authorities. Do you remember during the circuit breaker phase, for the very first time, everything that we took for granted, going out, eating out, doing anything we wanted with whoever we wanted, traveling anywhere that we wanted was taken away? And by now, some of us may be struggling with the reality or possibility of losing our jobs and wondering where and how are we going to cope for the future. And so I think as we are coming to the end of the year, as we finish our series of study on Genesis, that we have this part of the narrative to learn from God's Word in a very apt timing. If there's one single thought that I would like you to remember this morning about from this message, it will be this. Next slide. God is greater than evil. God is greater than evil. Our focus this morning will be on the story of Joseph from Genesis chapter 37 to 41. And there are three important lessons the author is teaching us about God. The first, slide one, next slide. God is greater than the evil plans of men. God is greater than the evil plans of men. In this chapter, the author of Genesis is going to show us what led to the planning and committing of evil as recognized by Joseph in later part of his life in Genesis 50. So we know what they are about to do, the brothers, is nothing short of evil and sadly from within the family. The problem of sin in the family of Jacob was getting worse. Family problems have been existing since the days of Abraham and Sarah when Sarah asked Abraham to have a child through Hagar. 
And it continued on to, um, to the life of Joseph. Next slide. In Genesis 29-30, we see that a rivalry between the wives of Rachel and Leah, competing for the affections of their husband. In Genesis 34, we have the murder, a massacre of an entire city by two brothers, Simeon and Levi, who deceitfully lied to the man called Shechem so that he, because they were so upset about how he forcefully lied with their sister. In Genesis 35, we have a very short but unfortunate incident of Reuben, the oldest son, having an affair with one of Jacob's concubines. Genesis 38, in between 37 and 39 of Joseph's story, we have Judah, Judah himself, the chosen one, to bear the promised one, marrying a Canaanite woman and how his first two sons, Ur and Onan, were wicked and were put to death by the Lord. And he himself could not keep up his promise. And how he broke his promise with his daughter-in-law and ended up having sex with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute. And in the end, he acknowledged that she was the more righteous one. So we can, in this brief trace, we can see how things have been so bad. By this time, the problem of sin has grown so bad that the brothers of Joseph not only hated him, but they wanted to murder him. It is clear from this brief tracing that the family of Jacob is in grave danger. Not only has the culture and the people surrounding influenced them, corrupting them, but the family relationship relationship needed to be rescued and healed. And so wonderfully, the plan that God has for Jacob to, to save Jacob's family was there. But it will be an unusual and unexpected plan. And so the author of Genesis was deliberate in wanting to show his readers how the family relationship has deteriorated so badly. And so without delay in his introduction of Joseph, he sets the stage by showing the tension between the brothers. Next slide. What happened is that in Genesis 37 verse 2, Joseph was already saying bad things about his brother. Four brothers, Dan, Nathalie, Gad, and Asher. We are not told if they are true or false, for the Hebrew word allows both flex. But to add fuel to the tension, to already hot tension, Joseph was singled out as being loved by the father more than any of the brothers. And to cement that tension permanently, Jacob gives a beautiful quote to Joseph to signify to everyone that he is most loved by Jacob. And for the first time, hate is mentioned as a response from the brother who were observing and saw the difference. In 37 verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And so the sight of the coat will be the triggering point of the brother's reaction towards Joseph. And when Joseph mentions of his first dream to his brothers of how his sheaf is standing upright and all the other brothers' sheaves are bowing and gathering around it, it incenses them greatly. An important point to note why this caused such a reaction is because in those days, in that kind of society and culture, it is almost embedded like law that the oldest will always get the lion's share of the inheritance and the younger will always have to listen to the older and bow down to him. 
And so it's very similar in our Asian culture, but only stronger and deeper in those days. So it is unthinkable that in Joseph's dreams, all his older brothers are bowing before him. Now, I have two sons, Callum and Cohen. One is five, one is three years old. And even today, incidentally, I'm still teaching about this idea of respect, respecting the younger one and also looking after, uh, respecting the older brother and the older brother looking after the younger one. So what we do is that we tell Callum that you can call Cohen, Cohen. But Cohen has to call Callum, Koko, which in Mandarin means brother, our older brother. But don't know why, all of a sudden, in the beginning of the year, he started calling Callum, Callum. And so we were what, where did it come from? We never taught him that way. We've always been very consistent in the way we address Callum, you know, and to tell him to call him Koko. And so we, my wife and I, and I think that it's because of his American blood, because he was born in America. And in America, that's where he learned it from. Because when we were living in America, all the brothers and siblings always call each other by first name. You never call the older brother, hey, big brother, hey, little brother. They don't talk like that. It's so awkward. They call by first name. And so even in the English language, it doesn't cater for that kind of value. But in our Asian culture, like Chinese, hey, the next slide, you will see for all the different relationships, there is a unique, specific way to address and to show the respect. So you can imagine, in those days, Respecting the older one is embedded as much as a law itself. And so, things became even worse for Joseph when he shared his second dream to his brothers again and his parents. And this time, they reacted with rage. In verse 11, And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, even though in the English text, we see the word jealous, but actually, it's about the intensity. The intensity is like rage itself. And so all these things provided the intense emotion amongst the brothers to prepare them to do something evil and to commit murder. All they needed was a perfect opportunity. And so the author carries on to show us how this perfect opportunity arose when Jacob sent Joseph far away in search of his brothers. It was a perfect opportunity to commit murder because not only was Joseph away from his father and his protection, he would also be easily outnumbered and overwhelmed by 10 brothers. We know that Joseph was wearing his beautiful coat because his brothers spotted him easily from afar and they began to conspire and hatch a plan to murder him. Look at their plans in Genesis 37, 18 onwards and to 20. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Why is this a perfect murder plan? Because when you they already had planned to commit the murder, hide his body, and create a false cause with false evidence and to get away with it. But providentially, Joseph's life was preserved by Reuben and was later suggested by Judah to be sold as a slave. And you can sense the coldness of the action from the callous heart of the brothers, whereby they could even eat together while the brother was in the pit without feeling a sense of remorse and regret. Verse, 20, uh, verse 24, 
And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Nothing was lost. And when there was an opportunity to profit from Joseph's situation, they sold him as a slave to the Midianite traders. It was heartless because it was so transactional to them. Selling and getting rid of a brother whom they hated and getting a few coins here and there. Can you see how evil and wicked this is? The author does not record for us how Joseph reacted or what he said because the author wants us to focus on the evil that was happening amongst the sons of Jacob. If the story had stopped here, we would have never heard about Joseph again. And it would not be wrong for us to conclude that Joseph was, a, was gone forever and that evil has prevailed and nothing good could come out of it. But blessed be the Lord, how wonderful to know that it is not so. So how does God deal with the evil plans of Joseph's brothers? Next slide. A great literary device that the... Um, next one. A great literary device that the author employs is the obvious seemingly absence of the Lord. The author is not only showing that the Lord has nothing to do with the crafting and conspiring of the evil plan to murder and sell Joseph, but to create the effect as if God is missing or hidden. Almost how Joseph must have felt. But in reality, he is not. Even though the Lord is not mentioned, He is still there, always in control. The Lord could have done many things. He could have prevented it in the first place, ruin, frustrate their plans, or destroy their evil plans completely. This is what we will do. It is the cleanest, easiest, most direct way to deal with suffering and evil. But He did not. Instead, he does something that none of us would think of doing. The Lord was going to use the evil plans of men for His good purposes. Do you hear what I said? The Lord was going to use the evil plans of men for His good purposes. Now we all know what happened in the end. And I'm sure many, if not all, can agree that it was for a good purpose indeed. But imagine for a moment that you were there and you were Joseph. Who did not know what the outcome would be? It would seem that there would be no good reason for him to take this, to, for this to take place. No reason for, good reason for evil to happen. Yet, the word of the Lord says there is. It takes wisdom, knowledge, power, control of a greater kind that you and I do not know nor possess to be able to hold on and to allow evil plans of men to be put into motion and use it for the guaranteed good, for the guaranteed purpose of good. We can never do it. There are too many things that is out of our control and we do not know everything and have the power to know and ensure it will come out right and good. But guess what? The Lord does. Remember, there is a greater plan and purpose at work here that only the Lord knows and for us, the readers, too. The Lord is going to use these evil plans to save lives, not just the lives of Jacob and his family, including the brothers who plotted his murder, 
but also to save the lives of the inhabitants of the land, namely the nations. For no one knows that a famine is coming, and the one chosen to save his family and the nations is the one sitting in the pit, wondering why this evil is happening to him. What good can come out of it? The presence of suffering and evil have always been obstacles that people claim that prevents them from believing in a good God. But if you were to think about it logically and honestly, if God who is all-powerful, all-wise and all-good is able to use suffering and the evil of men for good and saves lives ultimately, will it not at least show and demonstrate that God is greater than evil, good and all-powerful, rather than the presence of evil and suffering disproves the existence of an all-powerful and good God? Next slide. As theologians and scholars have said, just because we cannot think of a good reason why suffering and evil should exist does not mean that a good reason does not exist. And so this is why the author of Genesis is teaching from the life of Joseph that God is greater than the evil plans of men because he alone, alone himself, can use it for good. For Joseph recognized it when he looked back at his life and could see the power and goodness of the Lord. You don't have to turn to the scriptures, but allow me to read in Genesis chapter 50, verses 18. Sorry, verses 20. As for you, Joseph is speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so this leads us to, our next, to the next chapter of Joseph's life, his life in Egypt. And the second lesson that the author of Genesis is teaching us is God is greater than evil circumstances of life. Next slide. That God is greater than the evil circumstances of life. Joseph is now away from his family, all alone in a strange land and as a forced slave. What a dramatic change of fate from being the most loved son, part of a rich and powerful family, lavished with a beautiful coat, to now a slave in Egypt with nothing but himself. A terrible circumstance that no one would want to experience as a result of an evil plan hatched by his brothers. But, Next slide. Despite the adverse circumstances, Joseph does well as a young slave. We are not told how many years he served as a slave, but I reckon it will be lengthy. It could be as long as 10 years. And in those years, we see Joseph progressing. The narrator of Joseph's story deliberately tracks his successes and promotion as a slave in Potiphar's household. We read in Genesis chapter 2 to 6 how he begins working in the house of Potiphar and then progresses to become his personal attendant. And then later he becomes an overseer over his house and all that Potiphar has. And lastly, he is in charge of both house and field. Potiphar has complete trust in Joseph and leaves everything in his hands except for the food which he ate. 
One thing we do observe clearly is that the author is tracking the success and promotion of Joseph because he met and, and he mentions nothing about Joseph's skill, talent, and hardworking uh, work, the effort, which I'm sure he has. Rather, the author is deliberately trying to show us all the good things that's happening to Joseph is a direct result of the Lord. The direct result of the Lord. The Lord is mentioned no less than five times in, verse, uh, in the five verses, which is a direct contrast in what we read in chapter 37. So track with me in chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the master saw that the Lord was with him and all that the Lord caused, all that he had, to, uh, all he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessings of the Lord was on all that he had. So again and again, the Lord was there. He was the cause of the blessing and the success. So despite the adverse circumstances, God blessed Joseph in all that he does, and he succeeds, and is recognized by others. You see, we ourselves may be limited by our own circumstances in our lives, but the Lord is not. He is not limited, constrained, or dependent upon our life circumstances. He is above and in control of all of our lives' circumstances. He does not need to improve our situation in order to bless us and enable us to succeed. Instead, He will meet us where we are and can bless us and make us prosper. I can understand that it is difficult to believe. In our culture in Singapore, there is a narrative, the kind of, a kind of narrative that we live by. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Meaning, Everything has to be planned. And we have seen the result and the positive effect of planning from our government, the different bodies of authorities, our structuring of our HDB flats, our roads, our education, transport system, our food, our economy, military, and more. Nothing, almost nothing is left to chance. Everything is planned. Many years ago, someone shared with me that she was invited to a meeting to see the grand master plan of Singapore. Now, before the meeting, this lady didn't really have much to think about our government. But after the meeting, she changed. She was so impressed and at the same time thankful that the government was so visionary to come up with a grand master plan for the future of the nation. So I remarked and asked, so how many years will they plan ahead? 10, 20, 30, 40? She told me, more than that. She said they plan three generations ahead, which is about 100 years in advance. That's truly amazing. And all that explains why things that happen in our country, more or less, doesn't happen by chance. Everything has been laid out, planned, thought through. But I think because of this narrative that we live in in our society and culture, it can cause us to be easily discouraged, defeated, and even feel hopeless when the circumstances of our life that we plan do not go our way. Or worse, it becomes bad. We have bought into the narrative that we can only do well when things work according to our plans. 
But in the story of Joseph, God is in control and he can still bless us and cause us to succeed in whatever circumstances you might be in. We might think that it will be only that will be good enough for our hero being a slave right now, but conspired to be murdered but later sold as a slave by his very own people, but now trapped as a slave. Things are already bad. Can it get worse? And the answer is yes. Next slide. We have the next encounter of his life, evil temptation of adultery. Since Joseph was in charge of everything except for Potiphar's food, it shows that he was greatly trusted by Potiphar. And with great trust and responsibility will naturally come great temptations. This is a humble and apt reminder for me personally as a pastor. Because just because the Lord is with Joseph and blessing and prospering in all that he does, it does not mean that he will not encounter temptations. Same as for me too. The presence and blessings of the Lord does not mean the absence of temptation. The presence and blessings of the Lord does not mean the absence of temptation. The author of Genesis was very clear to show not only was Joseph successful at his work despite his circumstances, but he was physically handsome in form and appearance. The last time someone was meant was described as such was Joseph's mother, Rachel. It may be why Jacob loved jo Joseph so much and was so deeply affected by the news of Joseph's supposed death was because Joseph reminded so much of Rachel. Now, even though in this incident, the perpetrator is a woman, the wife of Potiphar, the previous narratives that we briefly went through would clearly demonstrate to you that men are equally guilty of such sexual sins too. The Bible does not discriminate nor highlight sins particular to a gender, but to all. Everyone is guilty of sin in the eyes of the Lord. Just as in the previous chapter, the situation was perfect to commit perfect murder and to get away with it, Joseph now finds himself in the situation with the perfect conditions to commit adultery and to get away with it. He was the most trusted person in Potiphar's household and field. He could do whatever he wanted and no one would question. Even though he was a slave, he was an overseer, which means all the other slaves and those in Potiphar's household would have to listen to him. Moreover, Potiphar was not present at all, at all times in his own household. So with Potiphar being absent, Joseph was the next person in charge. And lastly, the last ingredient to complete the perfect opportunity to commit adultery, there was a willing party, Potiphar's wife, who was not only physically attracted to Joseph, but initiates and becomes insistent in committing the sexual tryst. But Joseph does not. And so this leads on to an, a worsening of situation false evil and false accusation by Potiphar's wife. When Joseph finds himself close or closest to being tempted, all alone with her and physically close, and maybe even possibly naked because his garment was taken away, he runs away, spurned and feeling insulted that he rejected her advances. She decides to take revenge and punishes him. She fabricates lies and twists the story 
and reverses the role, portraying him to be the perpetrator and she the victim instead. If you read Genesis 39, 11 to 18, you can see how evil and deliberate she is in trying to draw a false and terrible accusations concerning Joseph. Once again, a piece of garment is stripped away from Joseph, like his coat in the previous chapters, and is being used as a false piece of evidence concerning now a crime he did not commit. As before, the author does not record for us Joseph's protest of cry of innocence. Joseph is silent, and the evil and false accusation is left to do its work in its evil circumstances Joseph finds himself in. For a man who has done nothing wrong, wrong, but kept his integrity, protected his master's interests, reputation, and feared God, and chose not to sin against him, his reward is imprisonment. For once being thrown in a pit by his brothers, he is now thrown into a deeper pit with no hope of escape as a prisoner. Now from my own study, it does seem that Potiphar's wife, wife's accusation, from her accusation, she was hoping not only to ruin Joseph's reputation, but also to ensure he will face certain death. He was after all only a slave, and there were little laws to protect slaves or prevent their masters from determining or limiting them how to punish them. It wouldn't take too much trouble to have him executed. But just as before, Joseph is once again spared of death. The chosen one to save the lives of those who brought his death, including Potiphar and the wife, he finds himself deeper into the pit and worse of circumstances. Yet, despite the evil circumstances that Joseph finds himself in, the Lord continues to be with him and he prospers once again. He finds favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison and is given charge of everything. And the chapter ends with, as I read, whatever Joseph does, the Lord made it succeed. So how does the Lord deal with the evil surrounding Joseph's circumstance? Next slide. The Lord does not remove suffering, but he stayed with Joseph as he was with Joseph in the beginning at Potiphar's house and also now in prison. Not only that, he continues to bless and prosper Joseph as a prisoner. The circumstances of our lives does not determine nor detect whether the Lord is with us or whether he will bless us. It is our relationship with him and his promises to us. The Lord does not remove suffering, but he stays with Joseph because the presence of the Lord does not mean the absence of suffering and evil. Next slide. The next part is going to be hard to hear, but please bear with me. Besides being falsely accused, maligned, slandered, which I am sure some of us here may have experienced ourselves. I for one have we know that the Lord does allow it to happen. But He protects and He preserves the life of Joseph. It is true that the Lord can and does fight and protect us. He defends us, shields us from attacks, both physical and non-physical. But it is also equally true that at times He does not. Why? 
Why may you be, we may be asking? So that he can use the circumstances, the very evil circumstances for his purposes, which may be known to us or unknown to us. In time, in time, he will exonerate and vindicate and even possibly take vengeance on behalf of his faithful people, you and I. But till then, his people must trust, wait and have faith in the Lord. For he is greater than all our circumstances of our lives. Don't believe in the life, in the lie that the circumstances restrict God's presence and blessing in us. Especially circumstances that are evil, unfair and filled with suffering. If the Lord has not yet delivered us out of our predicament, then he may very well be using it for his purpose. Next slide. And we know that in the story of Joseph, this deeper pit of hopelessness is all part of God's plan of goodness for him to bring Joseph to meet someone that Joseph does not know or anticipate. The deep pit of hopelessness of prison, a of prison is exactly the right place where Joseph should be because the Lord is with him. I know it's very long, but I, I don't know how to make it shorter, but okay, hope you understand. The deep pit of hopelessness of prison that he was in is exactly where he ought to be because the Lord is with him. It is not so much as where we are that is important, but whether the Lord is with us. One of the privileges I had is, was to serve in the prison ministry. And so I was looking forward to doing it uh, this year, but because of COVID, I didn't have a chance. And previously, when I had a chance to preach and share with the brothers in there, I absolutely firmly believe that they are there for a reason, that they might know Jesus Christ. That because they are in prison, they get to hear the gospel. They get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I always tell them and remind them. And so I ask them, if you were outside right now, you didn't have to go to prison, would you come to church? No, obviously it's the answer. And so the Lord deliberately paved a way for them that the church will go to them. And there they will get a chance, at least a chance to hear the gospel and come to know Jesus. And so in a seemingly worse place to be, a place with little freedom, stuck behind walls and metal bars, they get to hear the most amazing and most beautiful message, news, the gospel news of Jesus Christ. That will be far better than any other experiences or thing to possess outside the world has to offer. Therefore, do not be discouraged when you look at the present circumstances of your life, but look and focus on the presence of the Lord, for our God is greater than all the evil circumstances of our life. He is still in control and He will bring good out of it, which leads to our last point. Next slide. God who is greater than evil is with you. God who is greater than evil is with you. As we come to the last point, there are a few begging questions from the narrative that we need to ask ourselves. One, why didn't Joseph become bitter, angry, hardened, 
and even turn to evil ways. It would be most natural and understandable, I guess. And the second question is, why or how does God answer the problem of evil and the problem of suffering, especially unjust suffering? And the key to that answer to those two questions is the presence of the Lord. As mentioned earlier, the author notes that the presence of the Lord not only enabled Joseph to do well and succeed in all that he, that he was in charge at both Potiphar's household and the keeper of the prison, but also showed that Joseph was right where he was supposed to be. So this is the view that we have externally as we observe as um, outsiders. Another vital part that will help us to answer our earlier questions concerning the presence of the Lord is found in Joseph's reply to Potiphar's wife. Next slide. Allow me to read these two verses. Genesis 39, 8-9. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. And the last one, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's reply shows that not only does he know of the trusted position that he is in, and that he's in charge of everything belonging to his master except for the wife, Joseph is aware of the presence of God in his life. He clearly states that this adultery temptation is a great wickedness and sin against God. Next slide. He does not mention that it is against Potiphar, even though it is his wife. This is because even though Joseph is a slave, to Potiphar, he is accountable to a higher authority and greater being, and that is the Lord. It is the Lord that he regards and thinks of first. It is the Lord that he fears first and most. It is the presence and conscious awareness of the Lord that keeps him guarded, wise, especially when no one is looking. And it is the presence of the Lord which represents the living relationship that Joseph has that prevents him from becoming bitter, angry, hardened, and evil. The presence of the Lord is of greater reality to Joseph than his circumstances of his life. It is the compass to which he directs and orients his life towards and it prevents him from sinning against God and committing that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord, even if he means going to prison. One of my favorite stories about good and evil is the story of Count Monte Cristo. And there's a wonderful movie about, uh, on it. It was, I mean, came out in 2002. Okay, if you have a chance, watch it. So it's a classic, so if you don't know about the story, sorry about the spoiler, too bad for you. Basically, it's about a story about a hero. And the hero is called Edmund Dantes. And he has a rich friend called Fernand Mondego, who is jealous of his girl, that he has a girlfriend called Mercedes, 
I think it's the same spelling as the car, but name Mercedes. And so betrays him and causes him to go to a prison for a very long time. And so Edmund Dantes is absolutely lost and frustrated because he doesn't know why he's doing in prison. He cannot understand. And it drives him almost to madness as he tries to figure out the crime that he did not commit. All of a sudden, one day, after several years, the floor on his prison cell pops up and up came a fellow prisoner who was a priest. And so this priest has been digging to escape. But in, due to the, the humor of, the, of his fate, he was digging in the wrong direction and ended up in the Amandantes cell. Had he dug in the right direction, he would have escaped and would have never met uh, Amandantes. And so the two of them befriended and so they decided to have a pact. He will help the priest to dig in the right direction now and the priest will teach him anything, everything about economics, fighting, everything about wisdom and all that. Along the way in their interaction, one day finally, as Edmund Dantes was recounting the, the, his, the situation, circumstances that led to his imprisonment, he all of us, uh, to the priest, all of a sudden he realizes he was betrayed by his best friend. And so he was absolutely angry and he dug even harder to escape so they can have revenge. Now what happens along the way as they were digging, the ground collapsed and the priest is crushed. And then Amandantes drags him out. And there's a very moving scene from, uh, that I like very much. Um, as the priest was dying, in his final breath, he tells Amandantes that he has a vast treasure and tells him to find it Look, take the map, go and find it, and use it only for good. But Edmund, in absolute directness, said that no, he will definitely use it for revenge. And the last thing that the priest says to him before he dies is this final lesson. He says, this is your final lesson. Do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. Do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. Because God says, vengeance is mine. And Edmund replies, I don't believe in God. And the priest answers, but he believes in you. And he dies. Joseph is now in prison for a crime that he did not commit. So how do you know if the presence of the Lord is with you? Next slide. How do you know that, it, that the presence of the Lord is with you? A few things that I can glean from this narrative. It teaches you to trust in the Lord despite the presence of evil. It teaches you to do your very best regardless of the circumstances of your life. And it teaches you to turn away from evil and wickedness regardless of the consequences because you are answerable to God first. Maybe some of us here are concerned about, and you are not sure about the presence of the Lord is with you. And maybe right this moment, you are not sure. And you are asking me, Kenneth, how can I be sure that the Lord is with me as he was with Joseph? Wouldn't that make the difference of my life? And this is my final thought before I close. God's unusual salvation plan to be with us. Next slide. It is not by raw power and strength and might that the Lord saves, but rather it is in the context of suffering, pain, injustice, and the presence of evil 
that the Lord saves. Joseph was chosen by God to save the family of Jacob and also the nations from a coming famine. But before he could do so, Joseph had to go through all these years of pain, suffering, humility, and loneliness so that one day he may be ready and prepared to ascend to the position of being the second greatest man in the whole of Egypt so that he can save all. Those who are innocent and those who plotted against him. Joseph recognized that it was the Lord who saved him and kept him alive all these years and took all the evil things that happened in his life for the purpose of good. This is the power and greatness of God shown in the salvation plan of Jacob and his family. But you know what? A greater one was about to happen. And it is God wanting to save us and to be with us. Many thousand years later from this story, an even better Joseph will arise. He left his home in the heavenly places to become a mortal man and a humble servant. Eventually, he was rejected by his family and friends, hated by his own that he came to save, falsely accused, maligned, slandered, despised, and unlike Joseph, he was perfect, innocent, blameless, and true. And unlike, and unlike Joseph, he was brutally and physically beaten, abused, scourged, and given the sentence of death. And the greatest difference between Joseph and Jesus is that Joseph did not have to die. Rather, he had to live to save the life of many. But Jesus gave up his life and died on the cruel cross, stripped of his clothes, naked, that he might save the lives of many, those who believe and have faith in him. He suffered and tasted death that you and I might live with God and enjoy his blessing and riches. God used all the evil that was poured upon Jesus for his ultimate purpose of good, the salvation of mankind, the breaking free of chains of sin and darkness and evil, that you and I may become children of God and fellow heirs of Christ. And so now, you know what? You and I both have the permanent presence of the living God because of what Christ has done for us, not what we need to do for God. So the question as to whether God is with you is, yes, He is with you. He is with you ever more than, even more if there is a measurement, more than, even more than Joseph. So fear not, not be anxious or be worried. You are in the right place exactly where you need to be because the God who is greater than all evil is with you in Jesus Christ and His presence is permanently with you. Allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this narrative that has given us hope to know that you are a God who is greater than all these things and that to know that we have you with us 
And that is more than we ever need. So I pray, bless my brothers and sisters here. Help them to be encouraged and to live a life of faith and trust in you in whatever circumstances of their life may be. For you are bringing good out of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.